actually uh, comes against a good thing. If you've got your Bibles there, uh, let's uh, turn to Acts uh, chapter 15 and starting at verse 37. Actually, there's a couple little bits and pieces. 13, uh, sorry, 37 to 40 we're going to read and we're going to jump around a little bit too. Uh, in fact, we're going to jump around a, a bit. Familiar story to us and a good one. Here we go. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take, <coughs> take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Then we go to Acts 16, 6 to 10. <coughs> And when they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, and when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city, uh, from the, from the, Lydia from the city. That's an interesting idea, isn't it? Lydia, who was from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptised and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. 
And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison and do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologised to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia and when they had seen the brothers they encouraged them and departed. Thanks, John. Let me just uh, move this. We'll see how we go with technology today, huh? Um, Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for the privilege to read your word. We want to thank you that your word is not just uh, here for us to to, uh, read and just um, not think about it, but we thank you that it's alive, that your spirit makes it come alive. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would make these words come alive, that you would still our hearts from the distractions that are going on, that you'd speak to us through your word, what's on your heart for us individually, but also as a community, so that we may be witnesses for your glory. In your name, amen. So... Um, If you're visiting Canterbury Gardens, we've been going through the book of Acts, and what we've been doing is taking our time deliberately through it, but there are chunks where we sort of jump through it very quickly, and this is one of them. Uh, We've covered a lot of ground, a lot of things going on, but what I want to do is catch up very quickly to what's happened in the previous series in Acts. Previously on Acts, what's happened is Jesus, risen, raised from the dead, his king and kings, his conquered sin and death, has commissioned his disciples to be his witnesses. And ultimately, they were being witnesses primarily to a particular people group, to the Jewish people group. And from there, what's happening now, though, is the gospel is starting to spread. The good news of Jesus is spreading. People are turning to Christ. But not only that, there's opposition starting to happen. Strong opposition, physical, violent opposition. And in the midst of that, Jesus' church continues to grow. But not only that, there's opposition happening within the church now. People are starting to come in and they want to uh, add some extra bits and pieces. And you heard about this last week when Nathan talked about this and talked about tradition and what are the things that we hang on to. And so what happened last week, and we looked at it in Acts 15, uh, the, the leaders of that time, they decided to call like this extra special church AGM. They gather everyone around and say, look, we need to make a decision. And the decision was that, look, they don't need to be circumcised. They don't need to have this uh, ritual act done to say that they actually are now followers of Jesus, this gospel. What should happen is that, that this gospel that has impacted their life spiritually should reflect in the way that they live. 
And so they've given some instructions on what that actually outwardly looks like when they live in a culture that uh, openly practice those things. So we come up to this turning point now. Acts is, uh, there's these turning points throughout the book of Acts, and this is one of them. And this is an interesting one because this turning point now starts focusing in particular on one particular person by a guy called the Apostle Paul who's written a lot of the New Testament um, books in the, the Bible that we have in front of us. But it's an, ins- it's an interesting way of starting a story. It's an interesting way of uh, bringing a turning point in. Because uh, if you've seen it, if you've heard it, and if you just heard what John just read, uh, it's a fascinating way to look at it. Now, this, this morning I want to hopefully lay down three things. There's a lot of things we could cover, but these are the three things that I want us to focus on. One, Jesus' mission is unstoppable despite of people. Two, there is Jesus' mission led by his spirit or Jesus' mission led by the flesh. And thirdly, Jesus' unrelentless redeeming love for the lost. These are three things I hope to cover this morning. So firstly, Jesus' amazing unstoppable mission despite of stubborn leaders. Um, I love this because in these verses that you just read, there's an interesting fight that has happened between two significant leaders, two leaders of the church. And I love how the author, Luke, is putting this in to the guy, Theophilus, who's reading or listening to this, because I love it because it's, an, it's an, a trustworthy historical account. If you're trying to do highlights of a story of a, the growth of the church, you might not add these things in, but it shows the, the reality of this true account of the book of Acts. So these ministry partners, they've been serving together. They've been encouraging each other. They have a disagreement. And I think you know, what you're seeing here is two different, very strong personalities in some sense. On one point, you have this personality guy who's described throughout Acts. He's given the name, the son of encouragement. He's got this personality, probably of an encouragement kind of nature. Secondly, you come across the Apostle Paul. I feel like he was one of those guys who just shot off without even thinking first. I wonder if he had often the kind of foot and mouth disease, you know what I mean? Like sometimes he would say something and just just say it without thinking it through. Now the issue is not over doctrine. They're not having an issue of a doctrine issue. What's going on is Paul is actually making a call. What he's making a call is particularly on a guy called John Mark. A guy called John Mark, and, and, and you can see that in verse 38, where Paul is actually not sure about John Mark's commitment, in the sense that he's not really sure that John Mark has the ability to go the distance. Because in the past, he's actually kind of stepped back a little bit. He's um, pulled himself away, in the sense that he hasn't got the distance to go in this ministry. It's hard work. It, we need to be um, really passionate about this. And so there's this cautiousness about taking him along on this missionary journey. I feel like Paul is like this kind of bare grills kind of leader, you know? Where he would just be pulling them aside and just telling them, hey, suck it up, you've got to go in, you've got to go hard. This is for Jesus, what are you doing? But I wanted Barnabas, uh, in some sense, to encourage me. He goes, well, I don't see that completely, Paul. Maybe we uh, need to give this guy a bit of a chance. Let's take him along. Hence why this idea of him being a son of encouragement. There's a sharp disagreement. The, the, the translation that we have makes it sound like oh, they disagreed. No, it was fairly aggressive disagreement. It was probably vocal. They, uh, you know, they just did not agree on this point. So they separate. And I love 
the Bible because we're very spoiled. We have the whole New Testament. Because later on, the same guy who writes Timothy, in 2 Timothy in 4.11, he actually talks about John Mark and he says, he's coming towards the end of his ministry. Everyone's deserted him. Everyone's deserted him except for one person. Luke alone is with him. And then he says to Timothy, hey, bring along John Mark. For he's very useful for the ministry. Uh, imagine if Barnabas was an Aussie. I reckon if he was an Aussie, at this point is when he would rock up to Paul if he was still around and say, oh, Paul, let me just record that and put that on Facebook. What did you say? Let me remind you what happened a year ago. Let me bring this thing up. Now, I say all these little stories, but friends, you might be sitting here, what has that got to do with Monday to Saturday for me? Well, what I love about this story, why Luke has put that account, is that Jesus' mission cannot be stopped despite of people. Despite of when the disagreement is there, they, in other words, they uh, disagree openly, not over doctrine, and, but despite of that, Jesus' mission cannot be stopped. And the Jesus' mission continues, even in the ways that they wouldn't have been expected. Continues beyond what they thought could happen. And at the end of the day, Jesus' mission will continue despite of you and me. I just find that mind-blowing. Because I think sometimes as Christians, we don't really have a good perspective. Sometimes we have a perspective, ultimately, it's focused on ourselves. What do I mean by that? Well... See, if you're reading this story, if you are looking at the story and listening like Theophilus, reading it or hearing it, you might have thought, this is bad. This is bad for the gospel. How can they have a fight and then head off this way? This is not good. But see, we have a Savior who is King and Lord and rules. And his perspective is different from ours. He's risen. He's seated on the right hand of the Father. And his kingdom is expanding. His kingdom is being spread and he will redeem this. He will redeem this dispute between two of these, these two leaders. Let me illustrate something for you. Hopefully this might work. Right? There we go. You guys can see that on the screen? So I want you to imagine for a minute, right? That blank screen right now, if this was the start or a timeline of your life, as you can tell, I really did well at art at school. The first is the starting point. That is your life. That's the day that you were born. That's the day that you existed. And then the very end is the day that you die. The day that you're born, all you can see in some sense is you here can only look at it this way. And along the way, God in his grace reveals himself to you and you come to know him and Jesus comes into your life. Whatever point that is. Over time, certain point, whatever it is. But to some extent, all you can still see is beyond that. And, and now your life changes where you're no longer just about looking at yourself that by God's grace, you should be looking up here. Because we have someone who is sitting on the right hand of the Father, who is king, who is ruler, Sorry, it's meant to be a cross. Who sees all, knows all, is involved in everything. His perspective is not like ours. 
He's not sitting there and wondering, yeah, guys, don't worry. I know they had a fight. I'm still in control. And now he's not sitting there like a puppet just doing nothing and just sort of hanging out. He's involved intimately. He's involved through his spirit. He sends his spirit who is involved in every person who calls themselves a Christian individually in their lives, but also involved in reaching the world. We heard those stories just before. This is our God. This is our King. Now it is, I think, yeah, to some extent it was bad that they had a disagreement, a sharp disagreement, a tiff. But yet God was willing to and did redeem this mess. So two leaders are split. And they disagree. And although they disagree, the leaders of that church decide, well, we will still commission them for mission. In verse 40, you can read that. And the gospel is spread further than if they stuck together. And they further go and they actually uh, go and revisit the churches that Paul and Silas revisit the churches that they planted, they started. And so they head off. And they strengthen the churches further. But friends, we may shake our heads at Paul and Barnabas. You know what? But that's no different from us. I find it absolutely amazing that God in His grace still chooses us to be His mouthpieces. Despite of who we are, despite of what we do. I mean, I'm sure there are many of us, maybe you had a a conflict in your life. Have you ever had a fight with someone? Maybe even in church. I mean, these days, fights are publicized openly and widely. I'm not even talking about friends who don't know Jesus. I'm talking about Christian friends who do know Jesus and they plaster it all over Facebook against each other. But what amazes me is despite of me, despite of you, despite of us, God chooses us to bear witness of this good news. And so Jesus calls these men, stubborn and encourager, to be witnesses, just as he calls you and I to bear witness. And he uses us, whether if we are stubborn or we are sons of encouragement and daughters of encouragement. The reason for that is because Jesus' heart for the lost is much bigger than the heart that you and I have for the lost. Much bigger. And that's displayed because he went to the cross, to die on the cross. Jesus is amazing that he still works in all these divisions. I find it absolutely amazing. I mean, uh, one of the great prayers of Jesus, if you ever get a chance to read it, is you can read it in the Gospel of John. Jesus is called the High Priest of Prayer. He's praying for his disciples to be united. But not only that, he prays for us, that they would be one. And over time, there's things called denominations that start up. Now, I'm not against denominations, but I grew up in a denomination that was told that this is the one and holy true denomination, the holy of holies. The rest of them, they're not really that any good. I'm not, I'm not sure if you grew up in that kind of background. That's the background I grew up in. But what I find amazing is that despite of these denominational splits, for some of for good reasons, but some weren't, over minor issues, that God still chooses to work to rescue people. This past week, I was uh, catching up with some ministry leaders from different denominations, Baptist, Presbyterian, Anglican, Pentecostal, It was an interesting mix. Uh, And as I was talking to them, what I kept on hearing was God at work. God at work in their local church, God at work both in their um, um, denomination. And I find that amazing that despite of us, despite of our brokenness, God is on the move. And that should be an encouragement to us. Take courage, Christian friends. Because Jesus' heart for the lost is bigger than you and I could ever imagine and comprehend.
And from here we have come up to verses 6 to 10 of uh, chapter 16. You have this wonderful picture. What it looks like of the point two of uh, what does it mean to have a a spirit-led ministry led by the spirit versus a man-led mission. Now, just to kind of lay the groundwork, in the previous verses, what's happened is that Paul has arrived in a particular place. He takes a young man into, under his wing, his guy called Timothy. Timothy comes from a mixed background. His, his dad's of Greek descent. His mom's Jewish. You can read about Timothy in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. You can read about how, uh, who he is. He becomes a young pastor, a pastor of one of the church plants. Now Timothy is taken aside and Timothy is willing to go through a procedure for the sake of mission. That would have been an interesting conversation to be a fly on the wall for, I reckon. Anyway, at this point, uh, Paul uh, is, is involved in ministry, but there's no mention in those verses in the sense that the Spirit was doing this, or the Spirit led this, or God did this. It's almost like a silence. But despite of that, in that silence, God is still at work. Because you see in the verses, in verse 5, it says the church was strengthened and increased in numbers. God is still at work. God is intimately at work. He's looking and overlooking all these things and Jesus is working at it. But then you come to these verses, very challenging and interesting verses. In verse 6 it says, Forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak in Asia. Then in verse 7, And the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Now, two of those verses is to describe something very clear. It's to, to lay it out for us that Jesus is both directing in the silence, but also he's directly, very involved, intentionally, audibly and loudly speaking to these disciples to not go or speak somewhere. This mission is led by the Spirit. This mission is led by Jesus' Spirit. Now, notice that Paul and, uh, and his team don't sit back and go, oh, I'm just going to kick back and just wait and see what the Spirit says. No, they are actually involved. They're, they're stepping forward. The language is, in, in a sense, there's this struggle going on. There's this tussle almost where there's this human effort, a good human effort with this idea of reaching people for God, but the control of the Spirit is involved. He's involved. The Spirit is saying, hey, no, not here, not there. And in the midst of that, Paul stops and they think and they pray and God speaks through him through a vision vision of a man calling out I think it's one of the most powerful pictures to read because it's this idea of a man in Macedonia crying out for help they're in desperate need for help they need someone to come and rescue them and this mission is directly it's been directed through Jesus through his spirit Friends, remember how Jesus is still leading you and I despite of us? But in spite of that, right there and then, I think it's a good reminder for us about the Spirit's work in our life. I don't know about you and me, you or me, but I think sometimes we can do good things. We might have the right thing to do, do even good God things. It might be even ministry stuff. Sometimes it doesn't work, or sometimes there's a resistance, and we automatically blame Satan or the world or even circumstances, but sometimes I think we've forgotten even to stop and ask, God, is this what you want us to do? Holy Spirit, is this what you want us to do? I don't know about you, I have two um, beautiful little kids who struggle with the word no. 
I don't know about you. I'm sure you, you know, I'm sure you handle when someone says no to you. But I think innate in us is this attitude when someone says no to us, we struggle. We struggle with that. And sometimes, whether you might want to admit it or not, I, I find this hard to admit, but I'll be very honest with you. I want Jesus to say yes all the time. And in the context of mission here and there, right here in this passage, Jesus is actually saying through his spirit, no, not there, not now. I want you to go here. And I think sometimes we miss it because we're so uh, open to saying, Jesus, you need to say yes, you need to say yes, and we're pushing it, we're trying so hard. But at the end of the day, we're not really seeking what Jesus wants, we're seeking what we want. And then we wonder why the resistance is there, we wonder why it's not going that way. So this here is a picture of what it means to be in ministry that is led by the Spirit versus being in ministry led by the flesh and human effort alone. Friends, if you call Canterbury Gardens Community Church, man, this is one of the biggest prayers us as a leadership would covet from you, that you would constantly pray for us, that we are closely, continuously listening to the Holy Spirit and what He wants of us to do as a leadership. And if you are a ministry leader, maybe involved in a ministry here at Canterbury Gardens Community Church, here's a question for you. Who's leading it? Is it you? Or is it the Spirit of God leading what you're doing? Maybe you're involved in other kind of ministries outside the church of Canterbury Gardens. That's great. But who's leading it? Is it the Spirit of Jesus or is it you? I mean, are we submitting to what he's saying? Are we willing to stop and say, yes, okay, all right. Or are we tempted to be like little kids and throw a tantrum on the floor till he says yes? Remember, it's all about perspective. We don't see what Jesus sees. It's like that diagram that I showed before about how Jesus views the world. He has a better view than you and I. That includes when we are in witness, when we are on mission. That means simply when you and I, between Monday and Saturday, when we're at work, at home, at school, wherever God has placed you and I, are you doing this life with your own strength or the Spirit's strength and His guidance? Oh, church, may we grow to be a church that's deeply dependent on the Spirit and His role in our lives so that we can bear witness for Him every day, not just on Sundays. So this band of Spirit-led leaders are called. Paul is given this vision, this mission to Macedonia, and he heads off. And we have this wonderful, beautiful three accounts of three lives that dramatically changed. Three lost people who encountered the living Jesus. A businesswoman, a demon-possessed girl, a prison warden, a guy who runs the jail. The first one, in verses 11 to 15, you have this businesswoman, Lydia. She's, a, um, in some sense, you want to use modern terms, some people have said she's like a clothing industry owner, a, a fashionista is the language they've given. She's one who sells the purple clothes. That's all right. Someone give Tracy a hand. Let me stop and pray. Father God, we thank you that you know all of us and you know Tracy. We pray right now that 
you would minister to her, that you would minister to her health, that you pray for wisdom as well, and we pray for restoration in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so you have this woman, Lydia. She uh, is uh, described as a woman who's a seller of pepper clothes. She's well off. She's a business owner. She's, um, she's a businesswoman. Uh, she's not only that, she's a devout religious businesswoman. She's described as a worshipper of God. Now, from all accounts, we can see from this passage that she believed in God. There's a group of women who have come to a particular area to worship that was part of their practice. And in the midst of that, Paul and Silas and his team, I think, I believe, are led by the Spirit to be there. And and as they're there, they unpack something to her. See, Lydia had, had not heard the full story. She knew of God, heard of God, she's a worshiper of God, but she had not heard the full story. The key point to the gospel story, the arrival of Jesus Christ. And right there and then, Jesus opens her heart. She listens. She responds to the good news. It's like there's an aha moment in someone where you've you've clicked. I remember many years ago, I had the privilege to sit with a friend of mine and and witness to a, a guy, and he's grown up in a Christian family, all of that stuff. He knew everything. And as we explained the gospel to him, as we shared Jesus and what he's done, you saw the lights go on. It's like the Spirit made it come alive. And the lights go on and he switches on and goes, I get it now. It's, all, it's like a jigsaw pole. It's all put in together now. It's, it's clicked. She's baptized. She, um, she believes. She wants to live this life. She wants to represent outwardly what's going on inside in her heart. Friends, there are many in your life who are like this woman who only have half the story and we need to be crying out that Jesus would open their hearts to the gospel so she's baptized not only that this is mini revival a whole household is uh, actually baptized they all believe they all turn to Christ and the idea of this household is not just her family there would have been people working for her in the house she would have been a well-off woman. Commentators say that Lydia had a house church. She became, uh, her place became a place of worship for the believers in that area. And some even say that she actually helped Paul in his ministry financially. You have this woman who's wanting, she's searching. She's wanting to hear about the gospel. She is told this truth. Her heart wakens up. It's a beautiful picture. Then you have this other person, a young woman, a young girl, who is a slave both demonically and also physically. She has a spirit in her that's described as a python spirit. In that area, there would have been worship of different um, gods, and one of them was this idea of a python, a divination. There was a temple there. The idea is this woman bought fortune for her owners. She was a slave. She was just a money-making project for these guys. She was possessed by this demon who would give fortune, by fortune-telling for people. And she starts doing some public relation work for Paul and Silas and the team. And it looks great on the surface. Uh, I did public relations and marketing, and there was this term that we used to come often, we would hear that any publicity is good publicity. Well, not in this case. This is really bad publicity. So you have a demonic spirit saying who these men are, talking about God. What you want is the Holy Spirit, the true spirit, to proclaim the truth. You don't want a demonic spirit proclaiming this. Now, this is happening over a few days. Some commentators say it's not like this girl is standing there and she's just sort of saying, oh, these are those guys. No, she's yelling. She's out of control. She's 
crawling chaos. She's drawing attention in the wrong way. And Paul, the verse that we have, it says Paul is annoyed, but actually he's so deeply grieved. It moves in him that he can't handle it anymore. He's, he's so restless in his heart that he can't do it if he comes face to face with this demon. And through the power of Christ in his word, he, 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 she frees. She's freed through Jesus. The slave girl is now free. And the account says there are some people who are not happy. Their owners have lost their income stream. And they bring in a bunch of accusations. The accusations are that they're, they're, they're Jewish men who are actually here to cause a riot. They're disturbing our city. And not only that, uh, they're practicing or telling us to practice things that are acceptable to our way of living, our rules. It's a racial and political and lifestyle kind of accusation. But ultimately, they're just lies. So, Paul and his team are given some crowd justice. They're beaten up. The court even beats them up, throws them into jail. Now, if you're reading the story, hearing the story, it almost sounds like, oh no, here we go again. They've stopped. The gospel stopped. Well, so it seems. The gospel is going. The gospel's freeing women like this slave girl who's been freed. Then you have this wonderful, glorious picture of a God who is graciously on pursuit. Throughout these three lives, what we have is a picture of a gracious God who is pursuing the lost. From a woman who is a businesswoman who, who knows of God, now truly meets God, to a girl who is demon-possessed, is now free, to the warden and owner of the guy who runs the jail we have this powerful picture again that Jesus' gospel cannot be stopped. Even when you throw the messages into a jail, tie their legs so they can't go anywhere. And now, friends, I don't know about you, I've read this story a few times. And it's easy for us to glance over it and go, oh yeah, that's nice, that's a pretty cool story. Friends, the idea of why these stories are here is for us to remember even today of God's relentless love for the lost. God's gracious, relentless love for the lost. And here we have this wonderful picture of men who are in prison. And what is their response? In verse 25, they're praying and singing. I just find that mind-blowing. I mean, if I was Silas, I'd be sitting next to Paul going, "Uh, mate, probably should have listened to Barnabas, I reckon. Maybe we should not be in this situation if, you know, and why did you have to open your mouth? You could have just let her go. She was saying, you know. But friends, this is what happens when the gospel captures your heart. It doesn't matter where you are. Your trust is in the one who is in control. Your trust is in the one who is involved. There's no complaints. They move to worship. Right in the midst of captivity, Jesus hears a prayer, they hears a song, and this earthquake comes and they're set free. Now, once again, easy for us to slide over these words and go, oh yeah, that's peace out, catch you guys later, we're getting out of this jail. But I wonder if Paul knew, and I think he did, what was going to happen if the jailer, if they escaped, what would be happening to this jailer? He would be killed. 
And so this jailer hears this commotion. He was awoken. He comes to investigate. The door is open and he knows this is it. They've escaped. They've told me not to let them escape. They've escaped. I'm going to kill myself. It's all over. And then you hear these powerful words from in the middle of the jail in the darkness as he's about to kill himself. Do not harm yourself. We are all here. Life-giving words to this jailer to the point that he comes trembling. It's a picture of brokenness. A brokenness that's going on in his heart and he comes and he realizes something. He's in, a, a, a man who is himself actually in prison. He's in prison. He's entrapped. He's a slave. He's in chains to sin. And he says, what must I do? What must I do to be saved? The man who has keys to free these guys from prison. The man who has the freedom to go to his house and family realizes he's actually far more in prison himself in his heart. And he himself needs rescuing. And he comes to the man and these men speak this wonderful freeing words. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Not only you, you and your household. And this guy goes and hears the gospel. He receives the gospel. Then he takes these men, cleans them up from their wounds. He's baptized. Not only his, himself, but his whole family, his whole household, they're baptized. They're free. These ministers of reconciliation free them. Tell them the truth. These men that he originally hated, now he's ministering to them. And it's a wonderful picture. They have a party. They have a party after he comes to Jesus. Because freedom has come to this household. It is a sheer wonderful picture of the grace of Jesus Christ. And through this unfair imprisonment, and we read later on what happened there, but Paul and Silas, Jesus had a mission. Jesus was already involved. Jesus was chasing after these three individuals to save them, to bring them into his family. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, I hope that stirs your heart. Because I know for me, I've read this passage a lot of times. And I had to fight for it to stir my heart this week. Because it was easy for me to get the information and look for the practical points and all that kind of stuff. And I had to stop. I had to confess my sin to Jesus and say, Lord, please forgive me. I've lost the awe and wonder of your gracious, relentless love for the lost. I pray that's not true for you. I mean, when you read these stories, what do you see in these stories? Who are you in these stories? Friends, the gospel of Jesus is unstoppable despite of what the media might say. It cannot be stopped. Because Jesus is in control. He's ruling over all. And as I hope you read this, you're caught in awe of this grace that is Jesus. I mean, Jesus is willing to use men who disagreed for the goodness of the gospel. I mean, Jesus is willing to, to, to uh, empower men to, rather than rely on their flesh, to, to send them out relying on the Spirit. And finally, you have three stories of three people. And maybe this morning you're like Lydia, in that you know the things, you know the information, you've heard about this God, but in your heart you have not truly given to the full reality that Jesus died for your sins. And he wants to be the Lord of your life. 
and he's calling you maybe even this morning to turn to him, I pray Jesus will open your heart to that truth. And that's true, come and talk to us. We'd love to unpack that for you. Maybe you are someone who's enslaved or you know of someone who is enslaved. The only person that can free that is Jesus Christ. We pray that Jesus will free you. If not, we pray for those people that you know are enslaved. And maybe you're that jailer, you're thinking in reality that you are fine, but in reality you know that you're captive. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. And maybe you've come to the end of your tether and you think all hope is gone. Jesus says, no, I'm here to save you. You can be saved. And for those of us who know Jesus, these stories are not there just for us to have information. Let me remind you and me again that Jesus went to great length to save you and I. Our great Savior, despite of us, when we were in our sin, not good, not perfect, still in our sin, chased after us relentlessly, individually, here. You're all sitting here by God's grace to make you his son, his daughter. He made your hearts come alive to have his spirit live in you. Whether if you were someone who had a Christian background, whether if you were enslaved, maybe you thought you didn't need any rescue, but Jesus showed his mercy to you. He broke those chains of slavery that sin held on to you. And then he gave you a commission. Despite of who you are, despite of your backgrounds, despite of your shortfalls, Jesus says, here, now I'm going to send you, empowered by my spirit, to be my ambassador, wherever. To bear witness to the Lydias, to the girls who are enslaved demonically, to the jailers. This is the glorious grace of our Savior. So as you head into this week, some questions for you to consider. Have you lost perspective of the good, gracious gospel? Has it become information that has bought you a ticket to heaven? Oh, I pray it hasn't. If it has, remind yourself again the length that Jesus went to save you. And then in light of that, ask the question still, who is in charge? You or the Holy Spirit? Maybe even this morning, Spend some time as we sing this last song. Who is leading you? Who is leading your ministry? Is it Christ or is it yourself? And friends, let me remind you again. Jesus loves the lost more than you and I could ever comprehend. To the point that he's willing to use people who haven't got it together. And then he calls us. To not rely on ourselves, but rely on Him through His Spirit. To live for Him. To share this good news. To open the hearts of people. And to free those who are enslaved. And those who have no hope. And Jesus calls us to be those messengers. Let me pray. Oh Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that you were willing to come to the lengths that you did to save us. We can't even comprehend the realities of what that means at times because we forget as we drown things with the noise of this world, the noise of our own hearts. For those of us who know us, remind us again. For those of us who don't know you, open hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.